Uh, turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 21. Uh, it's going to be the text that we are in today. Second Peter chapter 1 uh, says, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy or scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's bow in prayer. Uh, Lord, we come today because we desire to hear from you. And uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, for last week as we celebrated and remembered uh, your work in bringing your word to us. Through the prophets, yes, but through uh, your spirit inspiration. And Lord, as we continue to consider your word, we ask that you would teach us and that you would speak to us uh, through your word. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing our series on uh, getting to know your Bible, uh, God breathed. And uh, the task that Pastor Chris gave me that, yes, how many of you knew that Pastor Chris was going to Israel? How many of you didn't know? Surprise, Pastor Chris is leaving this afternoon for Israel. Uh, a uh, opportunity came up to go. And uh, I would ask that you pray for them uh, as they go, both Bill and Linda and Chris and Michelle. They, there are some concerns that uh, you read the newspaper differently when you're traveling to Israel, and so your prayers are much appreciated uh, on that note. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, you'll be hearing from Pastor Derek, Pastor Jared, and myself. And the topic for this morning is the authority of scripture. Uh, the, the idea that God's word has authority over us, that these words written in black and white, uh, what they say about what we should believe and what we should do have, uh, have some standing to direct our lives and, yes, our beliefs. And as we consider that this morning, I, I realize that I, I have a confession to make. I do have authority issues. Uh, now, that might be hard to believe for some of you. You said, man, straight-laced, Pastor Ken, he has authority issues. <laughs> Tom is nodding uh, there. Uh, I'll give you two examples of my authority issues. Uh, a few years back, I needed to pick up one of my children from school uh, early for an appointment of some kind. And I knew that my child was going to be in the gym class. And so I went to the gym when I got to the school, and I tried to get my child. And the gym teacher said I, need, I couldn't have my son because I had to sign him out from the office. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but I didn't recall uh, seeing the gym teacher when that child was born. Uh, I didn't recall seeing the gym teacher at any meals with that child. And, and I didn't understand how he had some ownership of my child that he said I couldn't have to have, have my son I needed to ask the school office. My apologies to school employees who may or may not be present uh, in my house and in this uh, room right now. Um, I understand the rules, but, but in that instance, my heart starts to pound a little faster. My, my fingers start to crunch and I to 
clench, actually. And uh, I was very close uh, to making a little bit of a scene uh, because I have authority issues. When authority comes up, I say, who are you to tell me uh, what to do? Uh, you know what? I was reminded of this again, actually, just in the last week. On last week, uh, the village of Kent City put up, this is a public service announcement as well as an illustration. Uh, the, the village of Kent City put a no parking sign to the south of the old church building, where I have parked every day for most of the last 17 years. Um, it's not safe anymore, uh, evidently. And, uh, you know, I didn't think it was a big deal. I can walk a little bit farther. But when the sign went up, I realized, I have authority issues. Um, my heart beats a little bit faster. My fingers clench and said, 17 years? And now all of a sudden it's not safe for me to park on the church property and I'm the pastor? I, you know, I don't like to pay the pastor card, but I'm the pastor and I can't park on the church property. I have uh, authority uh, issues. In fact, authority issues are not uncommon. That there's something in all of us that, what I, in certain circumstances, rises and says, "Who are you to tell me uh, what to do?" Or as my children have said once or twice, "You're not the boss of me." So they say it to their siblings, not to me. They wouldn't say that to me. Sheesh. You misunderstood. So when we come to this topic of biblical authority, we have to deal with the fact that what maybe in a generation before might have assumed the authority of Scripture, our generation, our day, says, why should we trust the Bible? What is it about it that, that believes that this should be a trusted authority in my life? And this morning I'd like to consider first three reasons why we don't trust authority, and then I'd like to consider three reasons why we should trust uh, the Bible, and there's some overlap uh, between the two. Why don't we trust? I think uh, the first reason that we sometimes don't trust is that we have been disillusioned by authority. Uh, we have experienced authority that, that seems to be in it for themselves, for their own self-interest, uh, whether it's a desire for power uh, or control uh, or maybe just money uh, or glory or fame. Uh, that we've seen, uh, we've seen politicians or business people, and we say, you know what, are they what are they really doing? I'll, I'll offer as an illustration, I won't mention any names, but we have two political parties in our country, and they both have a leading candidate for president. How many of you are absolutely convinced that they're doing it because they want to serve our country? There are not a lot of hands up. I don't know. I, I but... I, I try not to be skeptical, but I really, it's about serving our country for the, for the common good uh, of our nation. Is that really what they're in for? We've, uh, in business, we say, you know what, they're just in it to make money. That's why Microsoft keeps making me update my computer, and so does Apple as well. You know what, a new version. This, you're not going to support my software anymore. You're just making, you're out to get my money. You know what, we're used to authority that, we seem to be corrupted by self-interest. They're not in it for the good of those that they have authority over. The, the, even we say that they're there to serve. Uh, they seem to be in it for themselves. 
And you know what? Some people feel the same way about Christianity, about God, and about the Bible. Uh, a few years back, a, a person put this into writing uh, in a book. His name was Dan Brown, and he wrote the book, The Da Vinci Code. It was a page-turner. I won't ask you to confess whether you read it, but I did. Um, in, in this book, uh, it is a, a gripping novel, and its central thesis was that Christianity was a religion that was controlled by power brokers, power brokers in the current day and hundreds of years ago when the religion was formed. But it was controlled by them to be anti-woman and to consolidate power in a small uh, group. Uh, this idea gained so much traction that it was made into a best-selling movie starring Tom Hanks that was very popular. Uh, and it seemed to be buttressed by the fact that at that same time there were lots of stories saying, you know what? Archaeologists are finding other versions of stories about Jesus that are different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there, there's lots of different versions of this Jesus story. And so Dan Brown wove together this wonderful novel that said, what if there was a group of people who said, you know what? We don't like those because we have an agenda. We want control and power. We're going to shut out some of these voices about Jesus, and we're just going to keep these voices, and they uh, use the uh, political maneuvering in order to make that possible. And so maybe we're missing something about Jesus. You know what, I decided to, to test this hypothesis and do a little bit of research, and I'll just share one example uh, today. Uh, one of those Gospels, because uh, uh, they do call them the Gospels, there's Gospels of Mary Magdalene, Gospel of Judas, Gospel of Thomas, um, and that last one, the Gospel of Thomas, uh, I would present to you for your consideration. Uh, you can uh, search for this on the internet and read it for yourself. The Gospel of Thomas was found in 1945, the base of an Egyptian cliff. Um, it's one of the larger of these other Gospels. Uh, it's made up of a collection of 114 sayings of Jesus. Uh, it, it reads a little bit more like the book of Proverbs, except sayings of Jesus than it does our Gospels that are kind of a narrative story of the, the life of Christ, the life and actions of Christ. Um, and so there's not a lot of, of context to be found there. Uh, if you were to read the Gospel of Thomas, uh, you would find that there are some things in there that are exactly the same that are in your Bible. Uh, you'll find some other things that seem like, you know what, that seems like something that Jesus would say. It sounds similar, although it's not in the Bible. And you'll find some other uh, things. Uh, I'll share two examples with you this morning. Uh, the first one is Gospel of Thomas, uh, verse, verse 7. Uh, it's, it reads, Jesus said, Lucky is the lion that the human will eat so that the lion becomes human. And foul is the human that the lion will eat and the lion still will become human. Hmm. Now, some of you jump off, some of you, because it's on the screen, are just like, I'm supposed to take this seriously, but I have no idea what that means. Um, that's kind of, kind of strange, kind of mysterious. Uh, kind of like a group that existed in the second and third century called the Gnostics, who said that gnosis, knowledge, was the secret to becoming closer to divinity or closer to God, or closer to becoming divine yourself, depending on which Gnostic that you have. 
And so they believed that secret knowledge, mysterious knowledge, strange knowledge, if you really are willing to accept it, that was the path to become divine. Hmm, that seems to kind of fit, because that, that's weird. I, I, I don't know uh, if I'm allowed to say that, but that's strange. So let's try this other one. Uh, Dan Brown said these other Gospels, you know what? Organized religion is suppressing women, and if we just heard these other voices of Jesus, like the Gospel of Thomas, then we would understand what really Jesus was about. Uh, this is verse number 114. Uh, it says, Simon Peter said to them, uh, and to the other disciples and to Jesus, uh, make Mary leave us, for females don't deserve life. That's not kind. Uh, and here is, here is Jesus' chance to stand up uh, for Mary and all women. It reads, Jesus said, Look, I will guide her to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every female who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. I think that your membership card in the National Organization of Women gets burned when you say things uh, like, like that. that. Is that affirming women? Is that Jesus, the crusader, for some form of... I don't, I don't think so. Uh, this, this fits a little bit more into this sect of false... Christianity that said, you know, we're going to take this message of Jesus in a different direction and said, you know what, secret knowledge is the source of it. You know, this uh, being disillusioned by authority because you believe that it secretly is working for its own interests, whether it's power or control or money, if you think about it, it really breaks down with regard to God. Here's the question. What do we have to offer God that he doesn't already have. Uh, Romans 11, uh, 35 and 36 says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory uh, forever. Uh, it states in explicit terms what, what is true, that everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we are comes from God. We don't have anything to offer. Uh, him. We can't make him wealthier, wealthier more glorious. Uh, power or control, he already possesses it, but somehow in his grace and his mercy, he gives us the ability to choose whether we're going to follow him or not. Uh, and we, in a sense, yes, does he desire us to give glory to him? Yes, but we, he doesn't need it. He's not dependent on it. We don't have anything to add to what he already is but somehow he has freely given us the choice uh, to follow him. Uh, if you're disillusioned by authority, I would ask you to question, question how, how is it that God can be working towards his self-interest if he is the God who made the world? You know, there is a, there's another category of folks who I believe say, you know what, I, uh, this authority, I, I, I have trouble trusting it. And this one, it's, it's a little bit difficult. I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a logical argument, but it's, it's something that's in the air uh, that we breathe sometimes. And this is the idea that I'm just tired of authority. I'm tired uh, of the same answers to the same questions. 
Uh, I, I just want something new. We live in a day that people want something new. Uh, you know, exercise and eating right is a path to make me healthier. <sighs> you know what? People have been trying that all the time. And isn't there a better way, a different way? Isn't there a pill or something that you can take that could really, really help with that? That, that way, it, it just doesn't, it just seems a little bit outdated. You know, and in Christianity, reading the Bible, praying, worshiping, listening to the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know what? We've been telling people about Jesus all these years. I'm just not sure if it's going to work. Isn't there a new message, a new angle, a new twist, something that we could do? Maybe it's just outdated. Some folks are just plain tired of listening to the same message from authority. You know what? It, it, it reminds me, slightly, or the analogy that I would give is it's a little bit like a, a general contractor, a building contractor, who says, you know what, I am tired of level foundations and right angles, 90 degree walls. You know what, I'm going to build a crooked house this time. Because really, it's time consuming. All, those, all that leveling, and isn't it time consuming to, to worry about all that stuff? And so, so you can build a crooked house, and I offer for your consideration today the crooked house. You know, you can do it, like actually if I built a house, it could look something like that. But here's the thing, when you get tired of, of level floors and right angles and good construction principles, it doesn't last. The materials change, building techniques change, but there are some fundamental principles that are binding. Why? Because they're true and they work. And the same is true of God and his word. It's true and it's work. You know, there are people who say, you know what, I'm tired of God's plan for marriage. Uh, I, I know that the Bible says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building people, for building others up. Ephesians 4.25. But you know what, I'm going to try sarcasm as the core of communication in my marriage. Uh, you, know, you know, and I know Hebrews 13.4 says, let your marriage bed be pure, but I think I'll be happier with unfaithfulness and infidelity. I'm going to try that as, as a, a new way of doing marriage, because that Bible way of doing marriage, aren't we just past that? Isn't there a better way? You can try a different way. Somehow God in his mercy allows us uh, to do things differently, but when there are fundamental realities of truth, they're going to impose upon your choices you have freedom on, your consequences you don't. Because truth doesn't have an expiration date. And so the authority of Scripture is rooted in the fact that it is true and has been proven true again and again. And you can grow tired of it, but it doesn't change it because it remains true. Well, some folks are disillusioned by authority. Some maybe are just tired of it. Uh, but we're honest, I, I think the largest category is folks who just dislike what authority says to do. You know what? I don't like this authority because it makes, tells me I can't do some things that I want, and it tells me I should do some things that I would just as soon not. Uh, you know, in the, in the 40s and 50s, there was a philosopher uh, named Aldous Huxley. 
Uh, and he was one of the, uh, he was an influential thinker leading into the 60s, which was a time that really people questioned authority and, you know, never trust anyone over 30. Uh, and he was one of the thinkers that led into this. And, and I appreciate his honesty. Uh, he wrote, for myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the liberation we desired was simultaneously liberation from a certain political and economic system. You know what? I, we wanted to change things politically and economically, the old rules and power structures we wanted to change. And a liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. He's willing to be honest. You know what? Part of the reason we wanted a new way of thinking and believing and wanted to abandon a lot of the, uh, the traditions, the Judeo-Christian foundations that, uh, that people assumed on is because we, were, we wanted our freedom. We wanted to do what we wanted to do. You know what? I, I appreciate that honesty because a lot of people, they're, they're not honest. They, they, they will say they have intellectual problems with this passage or that or... Uh, questions about this branch of theology or not and fitting it all together. And we ought to treat those seriously. But we also ought to be aware that often intellectual problems about the Bible, its truth, and its authoritative nature are not really at their heart. I don't believe what it says. At its heart is, I don't want to do what it says. That's, that's the reality. I dislike what the authority requires. The problem is disliking authority doesn't remove authority. Uh, this, I, I became aware of this last night. Yesterday I watched a football game. Did anybody watch a football game uh, yesterday? Uh, in penance and humility, I'm wearing this ugly green shirt uh, today. Um, because if you watch the Michigan-Michigan State football game, uh, sadly, uh, Michigan... Uh, was ahead with 10 seconds to go with the ball, but on fourth down, and all they had to do was catch the ball, punt the ball. The punter drops the ball. Michigan State scoops it up, runs it in for a touchdown. There, now you just save four hours of rewatching uh, the game. I know some of you are happy about that. Uh, but in our house, it wasn't happiness. And so we watched this, and, uh, you know, you invest a certain amount of time and energy into this, and I'm watching this with my, with my kids, and my seven-year-old, Aaron, said, that's not fair. I'm like, what's not fair, buddy? I'm angry. Don't touch me, you know. <laughs> what's not fair? He pushed the punter. Uh, buddy, he's allowed to do that, you know. It's a, it's a live ball. But that's not fair. He pushed him right out of the way. And then they got the ball. I'm like, I know, but that's the that's rules. No, that's not fair. He can't do that. That's not right. And Aaron was very upset uh, about, uh, about this. And I sympathized with him. So we're going to write a letter to the Big Ten commissioner and say that we disliked what the, the authoritative rules of football say is allowed, and so we think the result should be overturned. How effective do you think my letter will be? <laughs> Not so good. Because disliking authority really has very little to do with the legitimacy uh, of authority. Because I dislike it, I may choose to disobey it, but it doesn't remove the authority, it doesn't get rid of the authority, the authority still exists regardless. And truth 
does win out. There are reasons why we don't trust authority. And I, and I empathize as a, as a person with authority issues. I understand that. Uh, but I would like to offer three reasons why we should trust the Bible. And if you're still in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, uh, they're drawn uh, from this. The first is in verse 19. Uh, Peter writes, we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. Um, he says, you know, we have, uh, we have the word made more certain. Now, when, I, when you first read that, you say, wait a second, the word is more certain. Isn't it always certain? If it's always true, it's always right. You know, how in the world is it made more certain? What is Peter saying here? Um, I believe the key is, is in the word uh, prophets. We have the word made more certain because people living in Peter's day had more evidence that what the prophets had said was true than anyone living in history had ever had before. Because they lived in a generation, or were the generation after the ones who had seen what the prophets promised come to pass. Why do I trust the Bible? One reason is because there are predictions and prophecies made about Christ, promises made 500, 700, even longer before Christ, that were fulfilled in Jesus. And there are promises that he's made to us that are still yet to be fulfilled. Uh, but because these prophetic words have come, have come to life and are true, Peter says we should be even more certain than folks a generation before that's why there's a key phrase in Scripture. It's called, it has been fulfilled. And you find it throughout the New Testament. Uh, turn for just a moment back to Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 17. Uh, Matthew was a book that was written. It is a Jesus story. Uh, it is the story of Jesus. Uh, but Matthew, when he presents his story, he wants to say, this Jesus I'm telling it, you about, he came uh, not just as a great man, as a great teacher, as a great miracle worker. He came in fulfillment of prophecy. And so again and again throughout Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel, he uses this phrase, it has been fulfilled. I'm just going to call out a couple of those verses. In addition to these, he also often says, it is written, where he bases things in, pro in prophecy. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 17, uh, shortly after Herod uh, had ordered the death of all young children under two years of age in Bethlehem, in his attempt uh, to squash a rival to his throne. In verse 17 it says, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew saw the events of his day. He said this is in fulfillment to a prophecy. In Matthew 2.23, at the end of the chapter, uh, Jesus uh, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Egypt, and then they come back to Nazareth, Joseph's hometown. And Matthew sees that, and he says, this too is a fulfillment of what was said would be true of the Messiah. Uh, it says, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. If you flip over to Matthew 4, uh, verse 14, as simple as a thing of where Jesus taught and ministered. Uh, Matthew, when he saw it, he said, you know what, this, this fits with what the Old Testament said was going to be true of the Messiah. 
Uh, actually, beginning in verse 13, it says, Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake uh, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, that's two of the tribes of Israel that lived in that region. Uh, but Matthew says, This was to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness who have, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We don't have time to look at Matthew 13, verse 14. Matthew 26, 54 to 56. Uh, chapter 27, verse 9 or the hundreds of other places where the Old Testament speaks about the Messiah and Jesus, God's Son, comes as a fulfillment of those prophecies. Why do we believe? Why do we trust this is a word from God and not just the words of clever men? Of clever men? Um, in part, one reason is because the words came true. The words came true. What was promised was fulfilled in Christ. Uh, if that's not the same. Uh, if I write a book, uh, which is unlikely, uh, but no matter how good it is, my prophecies aren't guaranteed to come true. They are not fulfilled in the way that Christ fulfilled the prophecy because God's word came from God about what God is going to do, what God ensured would happen in Christ, and he fulfilled those promises. His words come true. Second reason why we should trust the Bible. Second uh, Peter 1 says, uh, No prophecy came because of the prophet's own interpretation, uh, but rather men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what Pastor Chris talked about last week, and it's vitally important. Why do we trust the Bible? Is because it comes from God. It comes from God. That's why last week's message is so vitally important. Uh, Pastor Chris talked about inspiration and the process by which God ensured that his words were, to us were recorded in Scripture. Yes, through the voices and personality and experience and circumstances of the writers of the Old and New Testament, uh, but he ensured that they were his words breathed out through the agency of uh, prophets uh, and apostles. It comes from God, and so it is both trustworthy and authoritative. Uh, I can believe it because it does come from God. Uh, now, there are those who will say, uh, that's a circular argument. You know, just because it says it, just because it says, God's word says, trust me, I come from God, that's circular. You know, I believe God's word is true. Why? Because it's, God's word says it is true. And, and I understand that argument, but as Pastor Chris said last week, there's a a circular argument to any of the basic questions of life of what we believe. Uh, but I would like to suggest when we say it comes from God and we have fulfillment of prophecy, all of a sudden we say, wow, there's some outside testimony, some external validation uh, of what God has said. It said, man, how do these prophecies be fulfilled if it didn't really come from God, if the prophecies and the enacting of the prophecies does not come from God. We trust it because God's word does come from God. Yes, there is an element of faith uh, in believing. Yes, there are questions about uh, interpretation 
that we believe. And uh, Pastor Chris or Pastor Derek and Pastor Jared in the coming weeks will be talking about those as we talk about uh, the understanding of interpretation of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, we'll talk about those. Uh, but we believe, because of inspiration, that Scripture comes from God. And because it does, uh, it is trustworthy and authoritative. It is a trusted authority from, from God. Why should we trust the Bible? A third reason um, uh, runs hand in hand with the second one. Uh, but it bears emphasis, a point of emphasis. And that is because it does not come from man. It does not come from man. Uh, Peter wants to make that clear. He, he says prophecy, it doesn't come because of the prophet's own interpretation, uh, nor from the will of man. It wasn't just their choice to record their best thoughts. Um, no, this prophecy, it does not come from man. Uh, this is vitally important because all of us are familiar with dealing with people. Our disillusionment and distrust comes from the fact that we're dealing with, we've often dealt with people whose self-interest guides them. Uh, authority is ultimately an issue of trust. Uh, and if I'm not willing to trust an authority, then I don't. Uh, but we need to note the difference that it says Scripture does not come from man. It's something different. It's not like men. Uh, let me illustrate it in this way. Uh, one way that I can tell if somebody is telling the truth some evidence that it is true, is if a person tells truth that's not in their best interest, that it puts them at a disadvantage. Let's illustrate that. Um, I'm one of those people that if my car breaks down, if I lift up the hood, really all I'm doing is checking the oil. Really, I don't know anything else uh, other than that when the hood is up uh, to what to do. And, and so to have a mechanic that I trust, um, that's kind of a scary thing because really they could tell me most anything, and I don't really have uh, ability to, uh, to disagree or argue uh, with them. So how do, you know, how do I know when I trust a mechanic? Uh, I'll tell you one thing that, that carries some weight uh, with me, is when a mechanic will tell me, yes, I could do an expensive repair, but you know what, this simple thing will probably last longer than your aged truck is going to, is going to, to need. And so he chooses to do something that's not to his advantage. Uh, the mechanic who says, man, you know, here's your $1,500 bill. Look at all the stuff that I fixed. Uh, I'm grateful, but I always wondered, was it always necessary? But a mechanic who will say, you know what? Man, I fixed it for $100, and I think that's going to be good for you. There's some credibility there because they're acting not in their self-interest. Is there anyone in the universe that that's more true of than God. Uh, the God who created people saw them rebel against him and then in order to show his love and grace sent his son to earth to die to his great disadvantage and he did this to show what love is and to enable us to be forgiven of sins and restored to a right relationship with God. And he did it. He chose to do it. I don't know if there are other ways, but the, I know the way that he chose to do it was at his own disadvantage and the sacrifice, the willing sacrifice of his own son. God doesn't work like man. Uh, he acts against his self-interest in order to reveal his love. Uh, if I could illustrate the same point by a different 
uh, a slightly different uh, tack. Uh, sociologists who study authority have said, you know, there are different sources of authority. Uh, the people that we are willing to, to give authority. There's positional authority. This is that somebody has a, a, a legal right, a legal standing to be, uh, to be above us. Uh, governmental leaders, school teachers, uh, they have a position and so they have authority over us. Um, uh, there's a second type of authority, it's called coercive authority. Uh, sometimes it overlaps with positional authority, but coercive authority is a person who has the ability to make you suffer uh, or to reward you. Uh, there's a coercive power uh, to it. This is the power of police, or to be honest, the power of a criminal who has a gun in front of you and asks you to do something or tells you to do something. Um, they have coercive authority uh, over you. Uh, there's also expert authority. Uh, this is somebody who is knowledgeable in a particular field, and so you said, man, they know more than me. I'll have to do what I said. I, I feel this way about uh, uh, Ben Rivard and lots of other people about cars, about uh, Luke Spoolstra and Mark Rawson and lots of other people about technology, uh, Tom Lutke and lots of other people about hunting. There's a lot of people who know a lot more than I do uh, about a lot of things. But expert authorities have said, man, you know what? They know more than I. I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust them. There's a fourth type of authority, uh, and this one is a little bit different, but they would say this is one of the most powerful forms of authority. Uh, the, the word that they use to describe it is called referent authority. Referent authority is an authority that comes because the person I choose to grant authority to, I choose to obey them, I do so because I feel close to them or a desire to identify with them. Uh, the difference in this is... Uh, there, there's, you may have a boss who, because they could fire you or they are signed your paycheck, you obey them. But there's another kind of boss that you like and respect. And so to follow this boss and to do with this boss, you do it for a different reasons. Even if those other things are true, you do it for those things. And there are other situations where I choose to follow somebody where they don't have any position or coercive authority over me, but I say, you know what? That's a guy, that's a lady, I'll follow her. I like them. I want to be like them. The direction that they're going is good. I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to follow him. The amazing thing about God is that the, the God who has all positional authority, he is the king over this world, who has a coercive authority, has the ability to punish sin and reward for doing good. The God who has all expert authority, he knows everything. He can always say, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. I told you that was going to happen. That's certainly within his power. All those forms of authority are true of God and of his word. But what God chooses to do most often is to display his love and patience so that people will be drawn to him and drawn through Christ, through his self-sacrifice for us. He can make his argument lots of different ways, but what he chooses, he says, will you follow me? Will you choose to submit yourself into authority? I could force you, but I don't. I want to draw you to me through my son uh, so that you will follow and obey and listen to me and listen to me through his word. That's the type of God that we serve. That's the authority that we have, one that has his best interest. The question is, will you choose to trust the one who gave 
his son. Will you chose to trust him? And he's recorded everything we know about his son in this book. And I'd like to conclude this message with a, with a simple story. It's about uh, someone that, that I suspect many of you know, but probably some don't. Uh, Lee Decker is a member of our church. Uh, some of you have been praying for him over these last two years. Uh, Lee has had a rare liver disease for, uh, I think he said since 1980. And, and over the last two years, he's gotten sicker and sicker until uh, he had a tra liver transplant uh, a week and a half ago and is doing great in his home, actually. Praise the Lord uh, for that. Uh, but as, as Lee was getting sicker and sicker, uh, earlier this year he was transferred to Mayo Clinic where he uh, met another liver specialist, a doctor by the name of Dr. Gores. And uh, Dr. Gores said, you know what, I'd like to try this. This is, he recommended a treatment plan. And when Lee told his family about it, uh, some members of Lee's family were skeptical. They said, it doesn't seem like he's doing enough. It seems like we need to push a little bit harder. We need to go a little bit faster. We need to do this. And so some members of Lee's family said, you know what? We need to research this out for ourselves. And so they started looking in medical journals, looking up medical research to say, you know what? Is this doctor giving us good advice? Because we're worried. Lee is sick. Our dad is sick. You know, when they did, they discovered that Dr. Gores was the author of all of the journal articles and research that they had done. Uh, and that if they found someone, every, anything that was written about this particular disease was referred to Dr. Gores as the foremost expert. You could say Dr. Gores had written the book on this disease. He was the authority. That's how it is with God's word. When Lee told me this story, the, the parallels were incredible. You can look for a different plan, a different way of, of living your life, somebody different to follow. But the creator of the universe wrote the book. There is no better authority. He wrote the book. Will you follow? Will you listen? Will you trust? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we believe that you are there. Uh, we believe that you have revealed yourself to us through nature, yes, through your Son. Uh, but for us who live in this age, we understand those things in light of your word to us. Uh, I thank you so much for it. Uh, I thank you for how it has transformed my life and countless other people's lives. I thank you that it's true and trustworthy and uh, should be listened to, Lord. Help us uh, as we head into this new week, as we have opportunities uh, to choose whether we're going to follow your lead uh, or go our own way. Help us to remember uh, that your word is true and trustworthy and your paths and your ways uh, are best. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.